0: metal uh hopefully semi-regular podcast where we just discuss heavy metal like we don't have a particular layout for it as of yet um i think we're just going to get people get regular guests on and discuss stuff we find albums we find interesting no particular relevance needed just if you think it's good we've uh i've got a guest today of rob cooper hello uh he's brought uh well what you chose three of these albums we're going to discuss five albums on the show and uh yeah, you suggested three of them, and I think we'll start with um, one you brought up, uh, very, actually a very recent release, this is Oceans of Slumber's second album, Winter, released earlier this year on Century Media. Now, Rob, what would you describe this album's genre as? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it falls into the nebulous category of progressive metal, which
1: can mean almost anything, but... Um... Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. Like, it almost, in some places, it's... Some places it's got sort of the classical leanings of something like Neobl Obliviscaris* or even, like, Bits of Septic Flesh or something like that. But then the rest of it's there's... It's very hard to describe because it's got, like, a black female soul singer in a Texas progressive metal band, which I think is really nice because you don't normally hear that style of vocals in a lot of metal.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the the basic history of this band is they, they came together um, about... Four years ago now and released their first album without their current singer um i've not actually heard their first album this is all they're all members of local texas bands uh, lots of death metal bands and the main notable uh member is the drummer who is uh, the drummer for insect warfare like legendary grind act um this band sound absolutely nothing <laughs> like insect warfare <laughs> but um yeah very interesting still got some extremely fascinating drumming um yeah, so their second album, uh, they had, between the first and second, they did an EP called Blue, which was where Cammie Gilbert, the new singer, joined the band. This is a really fascinating like live recording of mostly covers. I think it's three covers, three original songs, one of which ends up on this. Really worth checking out. The whole thing, I think, has got high-quality videos on YouTube where you can watch the band playing the stuff out. As you were saying that that was all a live session as well. Yeah, I believe that was one one solid session. Don't know how many takes of each song there was, but it's still... Yeah, that quality in that space of time is... Yeah, very impressive. And then they came back earlier this year with their first uh, first album with Cammie, Winter. Um, yeah, this, this is a very odd album. It's kind of doom? Certainly
1: moments of it. Well, there's a huge number of influences that go into it, I think. You have songs like, I think... Apolog, which is track 10, um, is actually a really heavy song, which almost sounds like a death metal or deathcore or something like that, has elements of it. And then before that, there's Turpentine, which is a really peaceful, and then sort of goes into an almost heavy metal power
0: ballad, almost style thing. Yeah, yeah. So also, as well as their their main vocalist who as Rob we was saying, is like some kind of solo sort of kind of soul singer. She kind of sings in quite a, a mid-range. It's not your stat... This is very far removed from your standard female-fronted, like, Nightwish Within Temptation-type bands. I don't imagine it would massively appeal to those fans. On top of her, you have all three, uh, gu- like, two guitarists and the bass player all do varying degrees of scream vocals. As far as I can tell, the bass player just does the occasional extremely high, long scream, which sounds really cool over this music. But well, I think that variation works really well in their favour, which is why it's
1: often quite hard to pin down what it is, because it happens with all, all the different influences they have. There are some much heavier songs, some much you know lighter songs, and then some songs that are sort of in the middle and then mixed between them. And that helps because they mix between different vocalists during. in. And sometimes, as you say, you have the really high-pitched screams mm-hmm. mixed in with the sort of more normal harsh vocals and then
0: the clean singing as well. Yeah, and, I, and on the aforementioned... Apolog? Uh, yeah. yeah, there's some really guttural... Yeah, you maybe you can actually see this sort of insect warfare type influence on it. Mm. Now, it shouldn't be overstated how good the musicians on this album are. Like, even vocals completely notwithstanding, like, the musicianship is incredible. The drumming throughout is fascinating. There's a lot of very interesting rhythm parts from the guitars and bass. And the leads are really tastefully done. Don't overstay their welcome, but yeah... Mm. Very, very impressive playing. It never descends
1: into that sort of guitar wankery. It, it, there, it always feels much more like a melody than it's like a lead part. It's adding to the song most of the time. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, just makes the song feel really cohesive. And the other thing we should mention is we talked about covers. This has a fantastic <laughs> cover in it of Nights in White Satin. Yeah. Which orig- is amazing.
0: Yeah, originally a Moody Blues song. Um, look at the original. It is a really good track. They, yeah, they take this to quite a strange place. This song features a blast beat that seems correct in it, like <laughs> actually fits, like you have to hear it to believe in, but yeah yeah, it's a very, they seem to have a real um, affinity with covers like the previous EP had a cover of uh, Solitude by Candlemas, which was a really interesting take on that, a cover of Led Zeppelin's "Cashmere" that's something like 14 minutes long it, it,
2: it,
0: <laughs> yeah, very interesting and less interesting they did a cover of I think The Wanderer the last track from Emperor's Anthem to the Welkin which is a um, it's an instrumental track where they sort of have improvised more leads over it mm-hmm. I'm not so sure about that one personally but the the first two covers are very worth checking
1: out yeah and they will bring you back to sort of the drumming style as well because Dobber I think his name's Dobber I yeah Dobber
0: Bev- Beverly something I think like so, that yeah
1: but um, his drumming style is fascinating because you can definitely see the influence of projects like insect warfare, which he also works with, but the fills, I never really know where the fills are going, but they're always really interesting. And it's nice to hear a band which does fills that I don't expect because you get a lot of, you know, particularly death metal bands who do the same sort of fill. And like a lot of the time it works really well, but it's nice to hear something that's sort of unfamiliar and just sort of seems to meander around the kit, which, you know, like often you don't get something like
0: that. No, no, definitely not. This is yeah, really worth checking out. Um, yeah, any drawbacks to the album for you? Anything you you didn't enjoy about it? Um, I think maybe I lost it a little bit in the middle. But the thing
1: is, the ending of the album was so strong that even if there were a couple of tracks where I sort of lost a little bit of interest, by the time we got to the end and they've got one of the heaviest songs and two of the most epic songs they've got on it. And I think, yeah, yeah. talking about the covers, they deal with the sort of epic songs like Kashmir really well. Some Similar with Solitude, in a way. Yeah, they yeah. really know how to build it up, particularly on something like Turpentine or uh, I think This Road, second last
0: one. Yeah, This Road is a, a, like a seven-minute-long epic, which yeah, really showcases just how good Kami's vocals are and just what everyone else does to complement that. Uh, slightly Meanders out with Grace, which is just a kind of like, piano outro. I believe the drummer plays this, but I could mm. be wrong there. Um, yeah, it's, it's just not very exciting. And there's a few moments in the middle, Suffer Last, The Last Bridge comes to mind, which are just a bit of a plain song. The album's 13 tracks long and possibly suffers for being a bit too long. But then again, maybe that's too harsh a criticism. It is, after all, their second album and first album with the new lineup. I believe they also added a keyboard player on this album who is another member of Insect Warfare, I think the guitarist, so okay, yeah, 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 it's really seeing a, a grind band take on a different edge. Well, strangely enough, I really liked Suffer the Last Bridge, I thought that was one of the oh, really fair catchy enough.
1: ones. It's like, like Winter is the sort of video track which is also really catchy and gives a really good taste of the variation that they do and the really nice songwriting. But I thought Stuff for the Last Bridge was, it was very, sort of, it's a very driving song. It doesn't really vary quite as much as something like Winter does, but I really
0: liked it. Yeah, Winter, the, the opening to the album, it starts off very slow, very melodic, and then builds up, like, you get a lot of cami taking the first half of the song while it's in the melodic phase, and it builds into a really kind of doom-death-type phase mm. in the middle where the three, the three male screamers come into their own. And yeah, really impressive, whereas Stuff for the Last Bridge... It's more of a traditional rock song kind of structure, like, and that maybe that's why why I wasn't so into it. Maybe I was hoping for this to be uh, kind of as hyper progressive as Winter the whole way through. But yeah, and I think a lot of them like the songwriting really needs to be
1: emphasised because, as you were saying, they really know how to work with Cami's vocals and the rest of the vocals and what they can all do on the instruments. And so they know how to build things up. And it's, a, it's quite hard to notice they're all incredibly talented musicians because the songs just sort of naturally flow. Yeah, There's never yeah. one point where you're particularly paying attention to one person because they're writing this cohesive unit which all sort of makes sense and flows and builds itself up a lot of the time. So mm. a lot of the time I just found myself thinking,
0: this, this is a really nice song and not even realising quite how talented all of the members were. <laughs> But yes, um, I think from this album we, was, we were saying the track to check out and we'll put a clip of it in after this segment is Winter, the the initial song. Probably the best way to view this if you want to get into the band is there's a really good quality video of them playing it live in studio and yeah, it gets to showcase what everyone's doing and, and you get to watch Cammy having to try and fill about three minutes where she's not doing vocals, <laughs> which seem to be, be a regular... Uh, a regular appearance. I heard for the new album she's learning cello, so could oh, be really could be an interesting addition <laughs> of her latest stuff. But yeah, so um, yeah, here's Winter by uh, Oceans of
3: who Whispers death to life. Winter's breath has come to carry you. It echoes through. the I mm-hmm.
0: older, like not so relevant anymore, but um, still I think uh, really of interest. This is Bathory's Nordland uh, from 2002, released in, on Corfón's own record label, Blackmark Productions. It's another one Rob's brought along. Uh, you're quite a big fan of this band. Mm. I shamefully do not know their stuff that well. Um, yeah, haven't gone back and checked out of a lot of them, but yeah, how would you describe this album? So, Nordland is my favourite Baffery
1: album, and is it is the most epic they've ever been. It's doing the Viking, or Nordic, or whatever you want to call it, era of Baffery, sort of Hammerheart and Twilight of the Gods. It's doing that, but perfectly. Yeah, um, and, yeah. And he built it up over so many years, with so many different levels of production, and you know, for most of it, not having any money, you know, like a... Blood on Ice, which is one of the other really good Nordic ones,
0: was, you know, the vocals were recorded in a bathroom. because They just didn't have any money. <laughs> so for those of you who aren't familiar with Bathory, this is um, one of the first wave of black metal bands originally, with uh, their first four albums or so were really straight to the point, black metal, kind of in the vein of Venom. And then after that point, they took a turn into, well, what i describe as folk metal, but... Don't dismiss this. It's not in the vein of uh, Churrasas. Think oh. more enslaved with less screamed vocals or, yeah, bands more of that ilk. Um, yeah, it has a lot more in common with the Norwegian black metal scene, but just more of a folky influence. Mm, certainly, and this is... So this was like the second last album that Bathory ever released, the
1: last one being Nordland 2. And they were both written at the same time, but Nordland is, I think, by far the tighter album. And it it features an awful lot of influence from the black metal era. If you look at, um, I think, it's Broken Sword is the one, which is an incredibly fast, aggressive song. Uh, but it's, it's the best production Bathory have ever had. And Bathory have often been a band which have been recorded in garages and stuff, so the production's often been a bit rubbish. But... The sort of Nordic and epic feel they're going for is really accentuated by having some really nice production and a really strange but really nice sort of old heavy metal guitar tone Mm, mixed mm. in with, you know, this genre that people called Viking metal, which emerged from, you know, the the
0: origins of black metal with the first Bathory albums. Yeah, so so you get, uh, like, the album is mostly entirely recorded by Corfon. This is one of the first albums where he didn't use programmed drums, though. Mm. So, so it's actually
1: the same situation as they had on Hammerheart, I was reading one of the interviews. Basically, one of Corphone's mates just turned up, and he's not credited on the album either. He turned up and he played, you know, they had a sort of shitty drum kit set up where they just had condenser mics on it, and he plays that, so you get a real live feel from the drum kit. Yeah, but what yeah. But what they've done is they've just swapped out every hit for an electronic sample. So it, it will sound a little bit odd, but it does sound as if it's being played by a human,
0: because it was, which again, lends a really nice touch to the album. Yeah. Again, when we say this is the best produced bathroom, don't expect a clinical kind of clean Trivium style production. <laughs> this is uh, this is still pretty rough sounding, mm. but I think it nicely like kind of walks that line between being incoherent fuzz and sounding actually pretty epic.
1: Yeah, I think on Broken Sword um, it goes a bit too far because with the really fast riff, it just sort of gets a bit muddy. But for almost everything else, it works really well. And it's also got, um, I think, Corfon's best vocal performances that pretty much he's ever done, particularly Ring of Gold, which yes. is like a really nice acoustic ballad-type song.
0: Yeah, so Ring of Gold is probably the most folk influence on the album. i say mm. this is near enough a folk rock song that Corfon just sings the whole thing. He sort of forgets the trademark screams for this point in time. And actually, Corfon's clean vocals on this album, for the most part, are really good. So I tried to get into Hammerheart a few years ago and I found his singing on that album just put me off because, yeah, it just didn't sound that great to me. Maybe I need to give it more time, give it another go because I have really enjoyed Nordland since, so... I think it's just the point when he realised that the thing he could do is he
1: could do the lower, slower, more epic vocals as opposed to the sort of halfway point between the sort of screams that he does in the earlier albums and then the slower, lower, clean vocals that he does. And these really accentuate that he wrote the right song for it as well, particularly with Nordland, the, the second track but the first proper song on the album. You know, this really sort of slow epic build up works really nicely with the lower, clean vocals and it's stuff that he can sing in tune. Mm-hmm. The only bit where that doesn't work is Dragon's Breath, where he
0: slightly overextends himself. Yeah, Dragon's um, Breath is the one song on this album I felt fell completely flat. Um yeah, this is is just between Vinterblot and Ring of Gold. And yeah, it seems we it's in the similar style. So you get with this album you got you've got an intro and prelude, which is just an interesting little two-minute atmospheric mm. thing. Then you've got Nordland, which is this ten-minute-long epic, um, which yeah blends his kind of black metal stylings with these new kind of more folk rock-type things, and he switches between his screams and really nice clean vocals. That song's really interesting and really sets the tone for most of the album. So yeah, a lot of a lot of songs are very much in that vein. You've got Forever Dark Woods, which is another long epic, shifting between these two genres. And with that as well, the interesting thing I was reading is that for that,
1: Corfin plays what he describes as a medieval instrument, mm. which he, he didn't know what it was. The interview with me just, he was in the studio and he saw this instrument that he said sort of looked like a lute, picked it up, and then just decided to play it. Uh, so he sort of just learned how to play this instrument and then put it at the beginning of Forever Darkwoods, which lends, like, it just adds to the feel of the album, because mm-hmm. the album is really this medieval, you know, uh, epic Nordic adventure type album, almost Dungeons and Dragons
0: style stuff. I, I haven't read through the lyrics. is it a concept album or is this uh just uh just a collection of short stories kind of no I, th- I think it is just a collection
1: of short stories. The one that is a concept album is blood on ice yes uh, which yes. was quite a lot earlier but is i think most thematically similar to the two nordlands out of any other stuff similar you know vocal style on that just not as well recorded um but Nordland one and Nordland two. Have some continuity between them. Corfom was saying they have the sort of same characters popping up in it. Yes, um, yes. Although none of the descriptions are that overt because there's not a you know a direct concept um story to it. It's just a collection of tales about you know the Vikings. Because mm-hmm. he was saying that after exploring all the sort kind of satanic stuff that he did with early Bathory, he wanted to explore basically his heritage and like the kind of culture of the Vikings and stuff like that. Um, which spawned, you know, an infinite number
0: of bands which just sing about Vikings all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you, you see, like, you really see the influence in this album on, say, bands like Primordial, especially later on Primordial, like the most recent three albums, um, Moon Sorrow, very much influenced by this band. So, Which both started as Bathory cover bands. I, I know, I believe um, Primordial were a Bathory cover band and have since... Um, Twilight of the Gods, uh, mm. Alan's other project, Alan, the vocalist of Primordial, um, starts as a Bathory cover band. Apparently they headlined uh, Hammerfest and I think people didn't really get them because <laughs> they were expecting a ass type band yeah, and yeah, and, yeah um, a Bathory cover band didn't really fit that bill. But yeah, um, yeah, that's and that's now morphed into a more, I don't know, Manowar-themed project. I've not kept yeah, up on them. Yeah. But yes, um, yeah, this this band really do seem to have had a massive influence on the scene. Even if they're not, I don't know. Corfum never seemed to get the popularity he he now has. Like, mm. sadly, passed away not long after Nordland Two. Well,
1: it was very interesting as well because he said in many interviews that he never listened to current metal. You know, the album that he bought most recently before he died was uh, Black Sabbath Reunion. And that was the only metal album that he brought. And that's the stuff he's been listening to since he was a teenager. So he existed in this weird little microcosm where he essentially, you know, was one of the very first black metal bands following Venom. Mm-hmm. And then sort of did this new thing, this Viking metal or folk metal or whatever you want to call it. Invented these two different genres
0: and Bathory sort of became this two-headed monster is how he's referred to it on several <laughs> occasions. Yes, yeah, so I can see that. Like the, the change from, say, you listen to albums like The Return or the, or the first album to this, he, it doesn't sound like the same band anymore. Mm-hmm. They they have very much gone through a, a transformation. But I think that's an interesting thing. I think he really covered the black metal style well in those early albums. And, yeah, I think he's influenced some really interesting bands since. Some bands are less interesting, but, but I guess that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, so from this album, we thought uh, we'd play a bit of a Ring of Gold. This is a, one of the more folky albums, really showcases Corfon's vocals. Um yeah, just just an interesting track. Maybe not the most representative, but yeah. Definitely I, I think probably my favourite from it actually. It sounds, it sounds very different to
1: most of the other stuff Bat 3 have done, so if you've heard the Black mental bits of Bat 3 you will not believe this in the same <laughs>
0: Arctis. I think This is your suggestion. Oh right? yeah, yeah. I think it might yeah. be. Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I
1: would happily have suggested this.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one we've been giving a, a lot of time to recently. This is um, in a similar vein to Bathory, This is one man's like sort of black metal ish project that yeah has gone through a lot of changes. This is a sixth album uh, Ishon's released in uh, two thousand sixteen on Candlelight Records. Um, yeah. The, I don't think Ishan's new stuff could truly be described as Black Metal anymore. It's um, you can see, Listening to Old Emperor, you can see the influence still, but I don't think this is the same band. If you only know Emperor, I wouldn't expect a direct continuation.
1: And I think Ishan like, really has lived up to what Black Metal was. There's some good interviews with him where he's talking about, you know, to him, Black Metal was about challenging everything and constantly changing, and that's what he's always done. And he's done extreme music always in a very different way. So the last album he did was really experimental, which was Das Schlieberson.
0: Yes, or, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't remember the title of it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this this the previous album is very interesting. It featured some songs which were apparently improvised, which yeah were very strange, kind of almost noise type tracks. Yeah, very interesting stuff. But for me, the previous album. I think was a bit too experimental. It's enjoyable, I'm glad he tried that, but definitely doesn't rate highly for me out of the Sean Bat catalogue. And I think coming from that, listening to this one, when I started off
1: with Disassembled and Mass Darkness, I thought kind of, oh right, this is really like after uh, an angle, or Angel... Um, and just sort of sounds like, oh, this sounds sort of normal f- for Ishan being the proviso on that, because there's some very strange stuff on here. And Ishan is always
0: doing that, he's always adding something new and something different, which I think is what's fantastic about all his albums. I did find with this album, I uh, like, I didn't really know what to expect going into it, and as soon as Disassembled, the first track started, the first riff came in, I was like, mm. oh no, I'm in safe hands. This, <laughs> this, guy, this guy knows what he's doing. So, yeah, it comes in with this really heavy kind of quite technical guitaring, like the production Eshon's now got on his albums. is very clean, um, very big sounding. I believe he plays near enough everything on it. So he's joined by um, Tobias, the old drummer of Leprous. Mm. Uh, and originally his, um, like Leprous were his backing band for a couple of years in, when he first made the Eshon project live. And uh, Tobias has now quit Leprous and has joined Eshon's band full time. And yeah, this... M- Because he he seems to have a very jazzy, yeah, just very interesting, unique style. Um, Yeah, this really adds something to the album. Whereas the rest of it is just, you've got the classic kind of emperor keyboards over the top of it. But quite subtle, not, not too in your face. And then... Ishan with his eight-string guitaring, almost sugary-ish riffs <laughs> in places. Obviously, not quite that technical or mathematical, but there's certainly
1: the edge. You certainly that see that scene. influence within it. And then it descends into on um, until "I
0: Too" dissolves. Sort of partway through the album, it descends into full-on King Diamond. Worship. Yes, yeah. This has a <laughs> this has a riff that is so incredibly merciful fate um, and runs through most of the song. So I think this really seems like a callback to his first album, "The Adversary," which like say tracks like called by the fire from that album really seem like a worship of king diamond style and if you know the first emperor album there's a really good cover of the gypsy, gypsy on that yeah. um yeah the gypsy's a dear song uh <laughs> uh yeah which showcases i think each has a real love for king diamond style so if you enjoy that i think you'd really enjoy it until i Two dissolve um, maybe if you find uh, King Diamond's vocal delivery a bit ridiculous as well, this might appeal to you because it doesn't go quite as high or... Ishan's
1: harsh vocals work really nicely sort of in the place of King Diamond's lower vocals, and then Eshan's clean singing never gets quite as ridiculous. And part of the love of King Diamond is the ridiculousness, but if <laughs> that's something that you find a bit difficult, then Eshan's a really nice way of doing that in a slightly less ostentatious way maybe. But
0: yeah, this album really felt like a um, a good combination of all the styles he's gone through. So you, you've got elements of the, kind of the kind of, as I said, the first album there. There's elements of the second and third album which are more like where he's starting to move off into the progressive realm but keeping it quite, you know, tight, uh, short songs, very to the point but with very weird twists and turns in them. And the other thing that's really come on with this album is Yixion's clean vocals seem to get better album Mm -hmm. to album. So like, he did a little bit, I think, first time was uh, on the first Emperor album. And his vocals were all right, but nothing that could really have carried a whole album. Now Mm -hmm. he's got to the point, I mean, they still use them as a kind of backing thing. They come in very rarely. But I think his voice has got to the point where I could happily listen to an album because it's seen clean the the entire time. Similar to some of the stuff on the last album, like uh, Pulse, which was...
1: You know, just a really nice sort of laid-back song with just clean vocals, and it mm. works really well. So
0: he's really improved, and you can definitely see that on this album. Yeah, so actually, Pulse is an interesting point because it's where he's taken like a bit of electronic influence, mm. At, mm. like some very strange. I don't know if this is from the keyboards or just really weird affected guitars, but we have another a song that's a real continuation of that on this album called Frail, which is like kind of a pop song structure with some elements of like. Really electronic things coming in, mm-hmm. and then just random spikes of ludicrously heavy, <laughs> heavy bits in with his very clean, very melodic uh, vocals and uh, like almost acoustic guitar styles. Yeah,
1: well, and starts off with like this really nice acoustic guitar lick, which sets up the whole song, which then moves into this electronics and then heavy. So he really he marries those styles together really nicely. It all fits. It all flows.
0: It all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I genuinely, I do think this is a uh, like. Finally this album is a real step forward for him again because I felt Arthur was an absolute incredible milestone. Like the mm. first album where he had the guest saxophone from Jurgen Munkerby who's been on every album since this is the the main man behind Shining. That is the Norwegian Shining, not the Norwegian. Swedish one. <laughs> um, yeah, Shining this this kind of crazed mixture of jazz, black metal and hard rock and heavy yeah, metal yeah. style. Yeah, very complex band. But yeah, so he brought that in on after and made this really fascinating album. The album after that, um, Ermental, or? Immersia, uh, I think. Immersia. You've it been of some cheese. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, this, this album, it felt a bit more. It was still an interesting album, had some interesting guest appearances, but I felt it was a bit more uh, treading water, doing the same style again, whereas previously every album had been a massive leap forward. Mm. Then the album following that, which you mentioned earlier, was. Possibly just too progressive. I thought the second half of this album really descended into each one just trying out weirder and weirder ideas. Now this album seems to have suddenly brought that all back together. He's taken another leap forward in his songwriting, but reined in the madness slightly, mm. so we still have these really contained, really catchy, but like very unpredictable, yeah, just brilliant songwriting. And the other thing we can't
1: Forget to mention is the guest performances. You've mentioned Jürgen saxophone on only on one song. Yeah, a um, red line.
0: Yeah, the second from last track. Um, yeah, we also have a lot of appearances of other former backing musician Einar Solberg, who used to play keyboards for um, Ishan's live band and plays keyboards and is the lead vocalist for Norwegian uh, band Leprous. He um, appears on two or three songs. So Definitely disassembled and celestial violence. I can't remember there's another one or not. There might be one in the middle, but yeah, those two songs, he really stand out performance. This guy has an incredibly unique voice. Um mm. Yeah, you would just have to hear it. It's like, the, like, I mean, he's he can happily carry Leprous on the quality of these mm. vocals. He, mm. Yeah, really quite impressive stuff. And so on Disassembled, we start off with this really heavy, kind of, um, as I say, really, the kind of eight string guitar tone with each one screaming away. And then, then it comes, to that, like, mellows out into, I think, and I can't tell, it might be Ishan and Ina singing together. I think so, because sometimes it
1: can be quite difficult. If Ina sings very, sort of, softly, it almost sounds like Ishan. But then when he really goes for it, there's no one who sounds like him at all, because his control of pitch, and just like the vocal melodies as well, particularly because they're written by Ishan, and the vocal melodies that Aina writes
0: are all fantastic. Yes, yes. Um and, and then the like then he gets a section where he sings by himself and yeah, just really showcases mm. how brilliant his voice is. The final track of the album, Celestial Violence, um this basically sounds like a bilateral era leprous mm. song. It's mm. a sort of a very mellow to heavy prog rock song where Ina leads most of the vocals to the song, so for the mellow intro he's doing these really beautiful cleans, and we get into this heavy chorus where they're trading off with him singing clean, and then Michonne screaming, mm. and they, yeah, this is a really big build up to end the album. Very epic track. Mm. Yeah. That's
1: definitely the one that sold me on the album when some of the tracks came out, and just thought, yeah, that's that's definitely the thing I want to hear from
2: Michonne.
0: Yeah, the the one other um, interesting guest, who who much like his previous appearance on a Cy album, oh uh, yeah, Psy's latest album mm. last year, um, is Matt Heafy of Trivium. I don't think you'd ever recognise him in there. He, he's <laughs> on the track Mass Darkness, and there's some very odd, clean singing yeah, in the background. Yeah, some high clean vocals, yeah. So, yeah, this continues Matt Heafy's interesting trend of, yeah, appearing on very interesting out-there bands' albums, mm. but continually being in Trivium, who are not a particularly interesting out-there mm. band, actually almost eternally disappointing that yeah, they're not yeah. as progressive as his influences.
1: Yeah, because he's very good friends of Ishan. Ishan is sort of a mentor to him, which is amazing. Um and, it, and his contributions on all these albums are not only unrecognisable, but they really do add. Like, they work. You never get taken out by it. Yeah. And he's y- re- genuinely really good at adding to these.
0: Yeah, I remember um, seeing Trivium at Bloodstock last year, and uh, Eshawn had played early in the day, and he genuinely referenced Eshawn on mm, stage, mm. which seemed quite weird for a headliner to <laughs> reference a band that were five yeah, bands yeah. earlier. But then again, I guess it's Eshawn. He kind of is a legendary character mm. in the metal realm. Yeah. And the final guest performance, Rob hasn't heard, uh, I have, is there's actually a bonus track to the album, which was read entirely by a Norwegian author, Ishan's quite fond of. Oh, wow. um, and it's just like an eight minute long, uh, this guy reads a short story of his over some weird atmospheric music. Um, if you don't speak Norwegian, this track is completely pointless. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't speak Norwegian, so I had no idea what was going on. And yeah... But if you speak Norwegian, it might be fascinating. The music <laughs> might really add to, to where it goes. But yeah, so <laughs> yeah, if you're an English speaker, probably don't buy the bonus tracks edition. <laughs> yeah, I think we had a debate at one point where I said the last track didn't really work and you thought I was <laughs> an idiot because you thought I was talking Celestial about Celestial Violence. violence. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we thought um, a good introduction to this album was we'd play uh, Celestial Violence, the, uh, yeah, I think, very leftist-influenced or at least is just because i such a big role in his sound.
4: now we will turn these unforgiving words into a star. Stay. This scenery would change if we could watch it from afar. Pain. Like icons of our suffering distilled to works of art, pain, a sting of life to bind us to these heavens torn apart.
0: final suggestion Mm. is um, a very interesting album released in 2014 this is Voices London uh, released from Candlelight Records Voices most people would probably know them because they're the new band of um, Akakoka drummer David Gray um, with uh, Akakoka's last bass player Peter Benjamin and Sam Loins of I think he's in another band called Shrines but I don't know if they started before or Mm. after And then a bass player whose name I've forgotten. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so this is a really interesting project. Very much in the same vein as Akakoka, they do black metal, but a take on it that's almost Mm -hmm. unrecognisable. Yeah, this is a hyper-progressive... yeah, I, how would you describe this album, Rob? Well, so I suppose the thing is it's
1: almost a concept album in a way. Well, in fact, it is a concept hmm. album, isn't it? Oh, yeah. well, no, one truly. And yeah. so it's it's this story about a man in London um, which seems to have these horrible dark undertones to everything that happens in it, which really lends to the sound. Very similar to Agakokka, just this weird take on black metal with influences from death metal and really calm mellow bits as well. Which, but it has all these dark undertones to it and sort of tells the story through it. It's got interludes of... Um, spoken word which is done by David Gray we think as well yeah yeah David Gray
0: so this um, this album apparently was written mostly by improvising in studio which strikes me as incredible Um, yeah I read an interview in which they were saying uh, they kind of put songs together by jamming them out in the studio and each song would kind of have a feeling to it and that feeling would inform the story so the story was written with each song sort of influencing what was happening I've I'm not entirely sure what the concept is. It seems to be a kind of a concept of uh, sort of love and loss and heartache in all set up against the backdrop of really seedy side of London. Mm-hmm. It has a very a very bleak, very British vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, as, as Rob mentioned, David Gray does these, these brilliant spoken word pieces between every two or three songs kind of outlying another element of the story. Um, And they never get too long or tiresome because
1: you get a lot of albums... um, I mean... Oh, one of the Blind Guardian ones, Nightfall in Middle-earth, is an example of where between every track there's this little sort of spoken word bit or where they're describing what's happening or something. And if it's between every track and you, then you have to skip through to get to the actual music, can get a bit tiresome. But this is done really tastefully. Yeah. And you can't always predict when it's going to come, but it always, as we we're talking about, with how they sort of had the feeling for each song, what they say and when it happens always matches things that are going on thematically in the mm-hmm. music, um, which just
0: makes it feel like part of the album. And say, so, for example, on a track in the middle like Megan, we start with a spoken word piece and the music slowly builds up behind mm-hmm. this and yeah, then builds into this this really epic, uh, blackened death metal kind of song. So the style of the album is is very odd. So it's led by the frontman Peter Benjamin, who plays guitar and does, I think, the majority of the vocals. I'm not sure if Sam does any on the actual album. Mm-hmm. I know live he does a lot of backing singing for them. Um, but... Peter's voice is incredible. So he'll move between like almost sort of goth, like Andrew Eldritch type uh, clean vocals, into sometimes like more kind of higher heavy rock vocals mm-hmm. in places, and then has, does a whole range of really interesting screams from some like really low guttural death metal vocals into these ludicrous silencer style yeah, yeah, wails yeah, yeah. was well, like
1: very much in the vein of old Agacker really mm. uh, with the sort of wild screams diverging into the really low sort of death metal growls but he has his own his sound different to Agarcocka's so it, it doesn't oh, yeah, it definitely yeah. doesn't sound like a clone of Agarcocka in any way it's very much its own
0: project I think as well actually the music although you can see because I think David Grace I believe he was one of the main writers for Agarcocka mm. you can see his style coming in there and similarities and like the drum layout and so on but there is something about the music to this that is more mad and more ever changing I, th- I think a lot of it it's like it doesn't
1: quite have the you know some of the brutal death metal influence that Agracockca often ran with uh and just goes it's a bit more sort of thematic and atmospheric mm. in quite mm. a lot of places um it's got you know really, really catchy riffs in it as well oh yeah, um,
0: yeah, like this yeah, this is an album that lurches really well between like, beautiful, soft, catchy melodies into absolutely punishing uh, death or black metal. Like, mm. there, there's... Um, so the song, the album starts with a track called Suicide Note that is is a really nice, like, just acoustic guitar ballad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very sad song. Yeah, yeah, it really sets the tone of the album well. And then this is instantly replaced with an absolutely punishing, grinding riff of these... First, like, proper song, Music for the Recently breathed, which is... um, Great title. Yeah, amazing (laughs) title. Uh, It's about seven minutes long, and this song moves between these really fast, like, grinding death metal riffs, and then slows down into these kind of sinister, almost goth rock
1: type... Over a lot of that, it's still got, like, a really fast drum beat going through it, which sort of keeps the whole thing together. But, yeah, as you say, it's got the sort of really nice, clean, vocal chorus, and then back into this really punishing, aggressive riff. Yeah, yeah, um... And that I mean the sort of aggressive side is exemplified by the first single they released, which is called The Fuck Chance, <laughs> which is my go-to song for you know people who say that they're into any type of music. But it's it's a it's a very
0: jarring song. To I think to. it's the one where you can see the most kind of silence or influence. Now mm-hmm. it doesn't quite have the sort of um Atmospheric black metal of Silencer, it's more just mad screaming guitars. While yeah, you have a combination of two vocal styles, like a really low sung voice, while someone just like Peter, obviously just screams. Yeah, yeah, this is not scream vocals. This is just screaming. Yeah, maybe uh, more co- more commonly known reference would be like those odd bits in an Alnafraq album, albums mm. where the guy just wildly screams. Like it is quite an incredible mess. But if you can penetrate it. It might take a few listens. This is a really rewarding song. And actually, the whole album has that theme. It's, a, it's as I say, a full concept album that builds and falls um, amazingly to fit the story, um, like descending into madness, uh, points where this, this it's all told from the first person perspective of this this character missi- uh, missing a lover who may or may not be real. I can't mm-hmm. really tell. Or, or he killed her or something horrible happened at some point. Mm yeah um but the, yeah, the, the music really does like lift the story and follow it along. We get um there's a fantastic track Megan, which an atmospheric drum solo, yeah which, it, it, it ends with about a minute long drum solo. That David Graves somehow makes really, as you say, atmospheric. It's it's
1: got some sort of ambient sounds going on in the background, but it like as a you very rarely hear a drum solo that sort of manages to convey atmosphere or feeling, and this does really well because it just sort of fits. All the rhythms work in the sort of theme that the song's been going for, and that's been built up by the rest of the album.
0: Yeah, uh, just this this album is incredible. I, I've listened to it so many I like it must be up to a hundred times now and there's yeah. always something new to find in it it's 14 tracks long a really long album with so many different um, styles going on so we culminate the, the album culminates in the final three songs um, with the single of the album uh, uh, I've just forgotten the title uh, Last Train on the Victoria yeah, Line I can't, I can't believe I've got that which <laughs> is this kind of really shows off the kind of maddening jealousy of the character mm. with these, mm. this really catchy sing-along chorus which seems to be their now regular closer of a live live song um, definitely one to check out it's got a very odd music video mm. which has yeah an attractive woman singing all like acting like she's singing all pieces fast which is quite a jarring image yeah. but uh, yeah and then then we get The Ultimate Narcissist which is like another real ballad of the album there's about three of these songs and when I say ballad I don't mean the kind of more cheesy power metal no, no. these are how would you describe it? Well so you know so you've got your, so it's much more stripped down
1: it doesn't have all of the madness that the other songs sort of de- devolve into it's got the acoustic guitar and sort of the kind of sad clean vocals which mm-hmm. you know are the sort of come down from the madness that happens in the other songs which so it sort of drives into the peaks and troughs which
0: works really nicely for the story that the album drives home yeah yeah um like the most interesting of these ballads I think actually or this one possibly not so um so describable as that is is the antidote this comes about Mm -hmm. the middle of the album and effectively I think the song is just one riff that they build up and up so it starts with just gentle acoustic guitar very gentle vocals um and this just gets more and more kind of powerful to the end, where it somehow has descended into like, like proper guttural death metal, mm. coupled with yeah. So you're the guttural death metal vocals and these occasional crazy screams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a very interesting release. Um, I think if you if you enjoyed Akakoka, they're a really good. Yeah, I always thought they were like the good next step, but mm-hmm. as we now know, Agarok are back. One. So yeah, couldn't be more excited about
1: that. So I mean, hopefully we'll get both Agahoker doing something new and Voices continuing. because I'd really like to see what Voices have to come up with next because this is you know a phenomenal release.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and almost every, it's this this band or a group of people really worth checking out. Every member has a fascinating other project, mm-hmm. like. Um, uh, the the drummer and uh, guitarist uh, are both in the Antichrist Imperium which is another very Akakoka style band with um, two of the guys from the Berserker oh, so you've yeah, got a yeah. uh, bass player and uh, guitarist from the Berserker and they make a kind of yeah it's far more death metal influence mm-hmm. kind of sound but they're very interesting and also we've got Akakoka returning with a lot of the original yeah the original yeah, lineup the original. but with um the guitarist of Dam now playing bass yes, for them yeah, yeah. And Dam are another fascinating one of these this weird this seems to be a scene in London of bands doing black and death metal in a completely unique style. Mm. I think Dam have now changed the name to Dam Dam in yeah yes. so yeah then they're coming back to a new album soon, so I think we're going to see some really exciting releases late 2016 early 2017 from these artists. I believe Peter's got another project on the go, but I don't know who they are at the moment. I don't know if there's been much mm. released mm. about that.
1: But they're definitely worth checking out, particularly live. We caught them live in Bristol, and they were fantastic. Yeah,
0: so. <laughs> supporting Winter Philip, yeah. Yeah, we've bizarrely... Um, oh, I've gone blank on his name. Uh, the drummer. Um Deb Gray. No, no, because he didn't have David Gray for right Oh, ah. Uh, Nick Barker. Nick Barker, that's yeah. it. Yeah, so for a ti- we saw, saw a tiny venue, like, pretty small crowd, and then the legendary Nick, Nick Barker, Barker was there. <laughs> as as if you either have the legendary
1: David Gray or the legendary <laughs> Nick Barker, and it's sort of, yeah, great to see live as well, fantastic drummer.
2: Mm,
0: mm. And yeah, and I caught them later, uh, Damnation as well, and yeah, very good live band, really intense show. Um, yeah, can't wait to see what's coming next to this band, uh, What I've heard about the new album, they sort of implied it's going to take more of the leaning of like the goth rock kind of influence, where you might see a more contained, more kind of traditional rock song, pop song kind of structure, uh, rather than this absolute madness.
1: Seeing their take on that would be really interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So for this one, I think uh, think the best song to introduce you to this album is, we'll show you a snippet of music for the recently bereaved. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's a good compromise of all the
1: different things that they have on the album.
0: just because I've been listening to it a lot recently. And this is Obituary's Cause of Death, released in 1990 on RC Records. This is, like, your archetypal, traditional, mid-paced death metal album. I, I got Rob to listen to it again recently. What were your thoughts on this kind of, what was now, 26 years on? From yeah, this yeah, it's a very
1: long time. But yeah, this is one of the you know, first death metal albums that you really got into, and you go right back to the beginning of death metal. And at American death metal, obviously there's death, uh, which is one of like the first death metal band I really got into, and then there's Obituary as well, who a re- really interesting counterpoint to that because death were always very technical and essentially became you know progressive death metal towards mm. the end. Yeah, with yeah. Really impressive guitar, uh, well guitar licks and really talented musicianship. And Obituary are definitely talented musicians, but they take a very different route in terms of death metal. Mm. Just often, they vary the pace a lot, sometimes very slow, almost doomy elements coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, and the lyrics are all about gore and they're trying to be disgusting. (laughs) And and it works. Like the vocals and the guitars, the guitar tone, it all just feels sort of muddy and
0: nasty and really works for them. Yeah, you've got uh, the the vocalist near... Vomits the lyrics like <laughs> uh, John Tardy's like vocal performance on this album and most of Victory stuff. you heard it, uh, stuff? He, he's a very unique sounding vocalist. Yeah, it, was, it
1: sounds like some sort of troll or monster of sound description. And as you were saying, like
0: at this point, it's almost as if he wasn't writing lyrics for half a bit. I, they they never released lyric uh, like lyric books for their earlier albums, and I've heard him. say I, I think he did write lyrics for them, but as they've never released them, I can't be sure he's not just <laughs> making noises. Yeah. Well, that works perfectly for mm. me the, the the title gives me enough of an impression what's going on here as Rob was saying they've got a bit more of a like some of their wrists do take an almost doomy leaning and that I think the influence that really shows in that is a love of Hellhammer and Celtic Frost mm, mm, that can be shown on this album with their cover of Circle of
1: Sirens, which is a really nice one because it takes a very different aspect of it to the original Celtic Frost song and particularly with the very different vocal style mm. but it, it works really well because it takes the original aggression and some of the first extreme bands in Celtic Frost and stuff and just gives it this really heavy, nasty guitar tone with these really sort of deranged
0: low ground vocals which work really well for it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so this is, this is a quite an interesting album obituary-wise. So their first album, Slowly We Rot, is the kind of the well-known classic of theirs but I really think Cause of Death Deserves to be up there. It's just a brilliant masterpiece, death mm. metal album. This is an interesting one. I personally I think I prefer the production on this one Slightly to Slowly We Rock. It's, a, it's Scott Burns again, the the ubiquitous, did every album in the early 90s. I'm not always a huge fan of Scott Burns' production, but on this album it does really work. We do slightly lack the amazing drum sound of Slowly We Rock. Cause yes, yeah. The, the drum sound's not bad on this, but on Slowly We Rock, it, mm. it, it is incredible. Mm. But then the, the guitar and bass tone. Bass has got a reasonable position in the mix, so it's nicely supporting these riffs. Um, yeah, and that brilliant obituary have that very uniquely them sound. Mm, that mm-hmm. their guitar tone is yeah, this really perfectly fits their kind of s- like slow, more plodding playing.
1: Yeah, and then with and then they do have lots of really quite fast bits that they get into, which is nice to see the variation because you do get. Quite a few death metal bands from like all over the time since death metal first became a thing, who stick to, you know, they're either very fast or they're mid-tempo or they're slow. And I really like that, particularly on, you know, one of the earliest albums, they vary it up quite a lot. They're Mm. typically slower than most other bands, but they can give as good as it gets when they really want to play a fast song.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. So this this song's this this album's got some really interesting songs, what chopped in half, which is a kind of live staple of theirs, like a really heavy, slow kind of pounding track. Um, one of my favourites on the album Turns Inside Out, the closer. It showcases them actually doing a bit more of a weirder style where like we have loads of weird lead licks coming in like every time, like round through the verse chorus structure. Mm. And yeah, very catchy. And that's like one of the songs that really showcases the guitarist for this album, James Murphy. Uh he's not, not a usual obituary guitarist. Um yeah, he's a man you may have seen around guest on various albums. Mm. I think it was briefly in Death. I can't remember which album he was on. I can't remember which album he was on. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, he's been around on lots of things and has guest solos on millions of albums. Really fond. I'm really fond of his like style of lead playing and um, yeah. The track Cause of Death has he, he's he's given about a minute to show off the start of it where he just <laughs> does this like perfectly like melodic but yet still death metal solo mm. and yeah. I think he his playing really adds something to this album. I, I think I definitely prefer his um, guitar playing style to Alan West, the previous, and then Alan West mm. comes back for like the next five albums. Um, yeah, I think this is the peak of obituary lead guitar playing. Mm, mm. And I think that often really adds to, because if we've seen just from the song titles like Cause of
1: Death, Turned Inside Out and Chopped in Half a body bag infected. They have this really sort of disease, like, (laughs) gore-focused look at it. Like, even more so than, you know, when Death came out with Scream Bloody Gore, which is, you know, it got all of the, you know, stuff about flesh and cutting and being nasty into death metal, same thing Cannibal Corpse do. But Obituary had their own sort of diseased version of it. Yeah. Which which fitted how they sounded so perfectly, because they sounded, like, quite oppressive. And, like, the guitar tone is, as I said, sort of muddy and warm. And, yeah, it
0: just sounds... I don't know, it, it really fits the style that they go for. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think with this al- this album, the first four obituary albums are all really worth going back to. I've got to admit, I've really dropped off the band. I think since um, uh, Ralph Santola, uh, I think that's his name, joined, um, I've not been so into them. He's previously in DSI, but very briefly in mm. Death. But I think he only is a live member as well. So Death's an amazingly incestuous yeah. <laughs> relationship with the American death metal scene. But... um where they, they incorporated way more lead guitar playing, which I think kind of spoils it. Mm. With this, this, As much as I love the solos, they are very tight, um, never overstay their welcome, which is yeah definitely, I think, how it mm. should be to get that oppressive, hefty, hefty atmosphere. Um, yeah, another really interesting track on this album is uh, towards the end. It's called Find The Arise. This was originally a demo of theirs before Slowly We wrote which they re-recorded for this album, and it's just a two-minute blast Mm straight-through, yeah, just really impressive song. Um, Yeah, which proves, you know, a lot of people talk about obituary,
1: talk about obituary as well, as being sort of the less technical version of a lot of, even like the Swedish bands and the American bands. They were the less technical one, but they really could play very fast, and as you said, really nice, tasteful guitar mm solos as well. So they're often seen as that, but... I think that's almost a... Uh, that's a conscious decision a lot on their part. Oh, they yeah, never yeah. had quite the level of musicianship that later Death
0: had. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, very... I don't really have a lot of criticism of this album. There's a few stupid sound effects between songs which <laughs> seem to be a death Metal staple. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, these don't really work, but I mean, that's hardly, hardly a, a I problem.
1: Like you could almost argue that it's a little bit samey, but mm. because it's not that long that never feels like a problem. And you, all, you've, like when you finish the album, you feel like, yeah, that was sort of exactly the right amount of time of that style of music that
0: I wanted to hear. Yeah, because it's nine tracks long and I'd say every one of these sort of infected, dying, memory remains, these are all like, really decent songs. I'm not mm. sure if... I uh, haven't seen Obituary Live in a while. I'm not sure how much of this album they revisit. I know Slowly We Rock gets a lot of playtime, mm. mm. but yeah, this is definitely an interesting sort of artefact. And released in 1990, this is sort of pre-swedish death metal really getting going and it's yeah around the time to- around the real peak of death metal where loads of bands were hitting their stride like you had deicide of legion um leprosy by death came out um cannibal corpse were like starting yeah. to really find their groove at this point so it comes from a fascinating period of time unfortunately then later a lot of these bands burnt out for a while um uh, Donald Tardy at one point joining Andrew W.K.'s band as a drummer which I thought was an interesting uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah from in, obituary to Andrew W.K. yeah an interesting change in style but yeah mm. if you've got any love of the old like the early American death metal scene I'd say this is an absolute must buy album Definitely. Um yeah so from this this album I think uh, I think to play us out and end the podcast we'll um we'll play Chopped in Half, which is just
2: a brutal <laughs> song.
0: Yeah,
1: great example of the strange lyrics. And great vocal delivery. So. Yes. <laughs> and just
0: some heavy as fuck wrists. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so, yeah. So that, that's it for the, the first episode of Phil's Breakfast Metal. Hoping to keep this a regular kind of podcast. Probably have Rob on most of them now. Yeah. Um, plan is we'll get a few of our friends to come on, bring along a few albums they think are interesting, get them to make a case for why you should go and listen to them and me and Rob will check them out and either love them or hate them, depending. <laughs>
1: Hopefully talking about things we love. I think that's something we want to focus on. Yeah,
0: this, we're going to keep it, it... This is a metal podcast, but we're not going to be particularly genre-specific. I think we will cover everything from power and folk metal to grind and black metal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, death metal's my thing, but <laughs> yeah. I like a lot of it. Um, yeah, so I think we'll do a few more shows like this where we discuss couple of interesting albums but also we want to do some retrospectives of live gigs and um and maybe go through like whole band discographies mm-hmm. so uh coming up soon a lot of us are off to bloodstock so we might give you a kind of summary of um all the interesting bands from that and try and give some good recommendations for new stuff <laughs> and tell you whether mastodon were any good life <laughs> but yeah so uh good. yeah to play us out chopped in half <laughs> Feel
2: the blood spill from your mouth Nothing wastes come to Feel the stone shaking all it